Proverbs, if you would, chapter 2. We're going to look at chapter 2 and hopefully chapter 4. I like to watch movies, but I'm very selective about it. And I like to read certain books, very selective about them. And the reason, the ones I like the best are ones that tell, big word, meta-narrative, big over epic journeys, stories. They're my favorite. Um, therefore, my number one is Pilgrim's Progress. And all the ones I'm going to name tonight, they're epic journeys on people who are on roads. They have a direction. They're going there. Um, but on these roads... There are a lot of good things and a lot of dangerous things, perilous things, life-threatening things, always. There's always both on these roads, and they have to face all of them to get to the destination they're looking for. You know how that works with Pilgrim trying to get to the celestial city. You even see it in the Wizard of Oz where they're trying, the path is their yellow brick road. Yellow brick road. They're trying to get to the Emerald City and all of the things with the witches and the monkeys and all the crazy stuff that field that they fall asleep in and all that kind of stuff. There's all kinds of, and there's good things. People that come along to help them and shelter them and provide for them. You know, it's true in the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbits. They're trying to get to the road that leads to Mordor to put the ring back in and to solve all the problems. You even see it in kids' movies, Finding Nemo. I mean, it's just all over because it is an epic tale when you're on a journey. And you're on a road, and all the way along those paths, in all of those types of books and movies, when you're on the road and you're on the path, you are making choices. And some of those choices, you don't make it to the end of the road. You don't, because you are unwise. But others who follow that, even though they may make slight detours and deviations at times, they're on the road. They stay on the road, and they get there. Proverbs tells those stories. The Bible tells those stories. It is an epic journey. Truthfully, from Genesis to Revelation, you could see it as an epic journey to getting to the final place, if you want to say heaven, but more than that, to all that the earth and heaven together was always meant to be. Proverbs gives us skill to how to walk that path. I call it the Jesus journey. Um, the purpose of the wisdom literature, and that's what Proverbs is, is to get the whole person, or, or to have the whole purpose of that book is to make you a wise person who is skilled at navigating the complexities of life. We don't talk today in our culture, and if you read enough and listen to the news or other magazines of secular origins, you'll find that Wisdom isn't a common subject anymore. Knowledge is, science is, because everything is based on observable facts. But not a lot about wisdom. The Atlantic Magazine Monthly published an article a while back, and it gives an explanation for why our world has dropped out of wisdom pretty much. The name of the article is this, Is Google Making Us Stupid? It says our phones are shaping how we think. And it goes on to say that we don't have to think long and hard about most anything anymore because we receive information instantly with very little effort involved at all. The author, I thought, was clever. He says it this way. We used to be like scuba divers swimming through an ocean of words. 
But now we just skim along the surface of the water like a guy on a jet ski. In other words, we used to have to really get down into the ocean and all this stuff would bombard us and we'd have to think about it. Now all we do is just say shallow on the surface, jet, we just go over things because all the information is there and we don't have to think about much anymore. That's why when you come across someone, what a wise person, and I like to be around them, hear how they look at things. You know why? Because it's few and far between in our world. That's why I think one of the best ways to describe wisdom is a skill. In our society today, we value skills greatly. We value the skill of some sport, athletics, some sport, music, art, and many other things. But not many people regard today, not even academia or intellectual people, value the skill of living well in this world. Wisdom is just that. It is the ability to navigate the path of life with skill. Gerhard von Rad, who wrote a book on the wisdom literature, including Proverbs and other wisdom literature in the Bible, about 35, 40 years ago, I think it's probably still, out of all the ones I have, and I have quite a few, I think it's still the best. And in it, he says, here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is becoming competent in regard to the realities of life. Now, if you read Proverbs well enough, And clearly enough, in a close reading of it, you'll find there are a lot of metaphors that describe what wisdom is and how to get it. But the one that we're looking at tonight is one of the most prominent ones, and it is the metaphor of a path, a road, a way, actually. Um, What he's trying to say in Proverbs to all of us, not just the person, my son, is that wisdom gives us the ability to see things on the path, sometimes small things, sometimes simple things that by a lot of people would go unnoticed. If not seen, they will go to, they are destructive detours. They are forbidden paths that often lead to our ruin if they are ignored. I don't know if you read much growing up, if you had to read classics, my dad made us read classics. We had to read poetry. We had to actually memorize it and say it. It's kind of wasn't great back then, but I appreciate it now, I guess. But you had to read Sir Arthur Cannon Doyle. Do you know who what it was he, the author of? Yes. If you ever read Sherlock Holmes, he comes into a crime scene, and people that have been there way before him and have been there watching and looking at the details for a long time, they can't make heads or tails of it. It's just really a big mess to them. But when he walks in, Oh, it's completely different. You know, Sherlock Holmes has the ability to see what is there and what is not there. He has the ability to see what should be there. He has the ability to see little things that people, you know, pass by as if they're not important. And he can put them in the context of the whole picture. And he can see things and put it all together and see what the reality of it is better than anybody else. And, and he even chides people like Watson who he says, it should be elementary to you. You should be able to, it's obvious, isn't it? And for everybody else to be fuddled, no, because it isn't obvious. See, that's what wisdom does. Wisdom is a Sherlock Holmes type skill that when you look at life, see, you can see things that without God's wisdom, other people can't. See, you can look at that and say, oh, be careful of that. Or you understand this. And if you do that, you see, you'll be able to see some of those things. Because you have a different view, a different perspective, a different foundation from which you're working. So wisdom is the skill to do 
what you should do, when you should do it, how you should do it, in any circumstance and situation. Listen, even when the rules don't apply. Being obedient, and we said that tonight multiple times, and that's a good thing, but wisdom doesn't limit itself just to obedience. In fact, if you read Proverbs, they're not precepts. Proverbs are not precepts. Proverbs are not promises. They don't work in every situation, but they are general patterns. But Proverbs are for wisdom. They give us patterns, not precepts, not promises, but patterns of what is true and what will happen when you follow them. But Proverbs are for people who want to seek God's wisdom in about 75% of the situations of life where the rules don't apply. Like, what job should I take? What outfit should I pick? Should I buy this house? Should I buy this car? Should I have this friend? How close of a friend should they be? Should I watch this or should I not? Now, there are commands on the obvious ones, but a lot of things in life, in fact, some would say the majority of things of life, rules don't cover them. Wisdom does. Wisdom is knowing how to put that skill of God's truth and the patterns and principles of wisdom into life's practices when the rules are not necessary, applied, applicable. If you want to understand how important or the power of wisdom is, read a, a little bit of a, maybe a little hidden text, so to speak, 2 Samuel 15 through 17. We're not going to do it tonight. I'm going to tell you the story. I think you might know it. David was being run out of town by his own son, Absalom, who rebelled against him. And Absalom wasn't just looking to run his dad out of town. He wanted to catch his dad and kill him. It had become that bad. He had stolen the hearts of the people of Israel, and there wasn't much at the moment that David could do about it. So he had to abdicate. He had to take his most trusted people, and he was leaving Jerusalem. He got to the other side of the Mount of Olives, Olives over there. As the Absalom was coming in from the other way, he was leaving the opposite way. And, one, and one of, on the road, one of his friends by the name of Hushai meets him. And he wants to go with David. And he said, no, you're not, you're not going to be best used by me to come with me. He goes, but what you can do for me is to go back and tell Absalom that now that I'm out of power and he's in power, that you're going to be his friend like you were mine. And when you tell him that, here's what you're going to do with it. You're going to go over there and you're going to defeat the wisdom of Ahithophel. Ahithophel, from the very beginning of David's reign, was his most trusted counselor. And in the passage in chapter 16 in verse 23, it says, In those days, Ahithophel had wisdom like you were listening to the very oracles of God. In other words, when he answered your questions about what you thought wisdom was, it was like you were getting it straight from God. That's wisdom. He had serious wisdom. Hushai goes back and Absalom says, Hey, I want to know, should we chase David now and kill him, try to kill him now? Or should we wait, build our army up? What should we do? And so Ahithophel gives his wisdom. Go after David now. He's weak. He's, you know, he's bewildered about you, you uh, taking his throne. 
and he doesn't have that many guys with him before he can gather an army. Let's go get him now while he's weak, while he's surprised. He won't know we're coming and we'll take him and kill him and it'll be all over and you won't have to worry about it anymore. That was his wisdom in a nutshell. Hushai comes in and he says, oh, you know, you know, I understand how smart he is. But you know what? You know, your dad's like a caged lion. And if you try to attack him now, you know, he knows those caves in the wilderness like you can't believe. I mean, he proved that with Saul. And he's got guys with him. He goes, and you, you know, you want to let things simmer down and you want to go after him a little while later. Let's build it up so we can make a big deal out of it. And then ultimately everyone will see all that you do and you'll be the, the better man for it. And the Bible says that because God wanted to destroy or kill Absalom, Hushai's wisdom won out. Now here's the thing of the story that's crazy. Ahithophel hears a little while later that that Absalom made his choice and he didn't choose his wisdom, but Hushai's. Crazy verse. And it says this, And Ahithophel, when he heard the news, he saddled his donkey, rode to his house, took a rope, and hung himself. And you say, what was that about? Here's why. Ahithophel knew that his wisdom was always right. And when you reject wisdom, you reject God. And he said he knew it was over. So he said, every time you reject wisdom, you can court disaster only so long, and eventually it will destroy you. And he basically was saying this, before I get killed by David when he takes the throne back, I'm going to kill myself. The power of wisdom. I mean, that's how powerful it was. He decided it would be better to commit suicide. Why? Because wisdom had been rejected. That's how powerful wisdom is and important in your life and mine. We all need wisdom in our lives. Have you ever thought of why does God call David a man after his own heart? I mean, you've read the story of David's life. He committed adultery. He had Uriah the Hittite murdered. At one point, he numbered the people, and God had to strike down 70,000 people in Israel because of it, which really outdoes the one Hittite quite a bit. I mean, he did all these things, but yet still, he is the standard of all the kings to follow. He's the one that, oh, was he like David or was he not like David? So why does God say that? Listen, let me make another point about wisdom. A wise person is not wise based on the major events of their life only. It's because of the little events daily in their lives and the choices they make most of the time not even be visible to other people. That's what makes someone wise. Wisdom is not the same as character and morality, but it always includes character and morality. It's not less than those things. And it is those things in your life, your character plus your morality, and being a kind of person, taking the wisdom of God, using it skillfully in life, is what makes someone wise. Your future is determined by your character and who you are and how you live out your wisdom. True story, in the 1970s, there was a man who was interviewed in jail And he told the story about when he was young and his dad had a very beautiful gold watch and he kept it in his office in his drawer in a special box and he told his family no one ever is to touch it, to mess with it, it is worth a lot of money. 
One day his son, when he was young, the man that was interviewed in the jail, went into his dad's office when he was away, found the box, opened it up, took the gold watch out, was handling it, trying it on, playing with it a little bit, dropped it, cracked the crystal in half, put it back in the box. He thought about telling his dad because he'd always been truthful before, but he put it back in the box and let it go. It wasn't too long later that his dad found the box, opened it, it was broken, he was enraged. That day, he got all of his family members together and asked them, who did this? No one confessed up to it. No one did. He never did find out about it. And that was the worst thing that ever happened to him because he began to have a pattern of how he'd respond to things when he got caught doing wrong. And he kept doing it and doing it. And that's how he learned to respond in little things in life until in his 30s, he was out on a dark road at night, did not see a child near the side of the road, and ran him over. Killed him. You know what he did? His first instinct was, because it was his instinct, it was to run. He knew it would be considered hit and run, but that's how he had been thinking, and he did it. He, he left, and within a week, they found him. He spent the rest of his life in prison. They interviewed him, and they asked him, what was the worst thing you ever did? thinking it was the kid that he ran over with the car. He said, you know what my problem was? It all started when I took the gold watch and I wouldn't speak the truth about it. And instead, I hid and covered it up. He goes, I thought when I ran the kid over that I could still do the same thing. You see, it wasn't the big event. It wasn't the running the child over with a car. It was all the little things that led him to that place because his character had been fixed and determined by the little choices that he was making in his life. Life is a choice on a path. And as I said earlier on, and we make choices on that path. That's what all the movies and the books are about. We make choices. And in our text tonight, in chapter 2, I want you to circle a bunch of things. I hope you do that, whether in your Bible or on paper. Two sections, that's all we're going to look at. 2, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and chapter 2, verses 8 through 22. Two things about wisdom. If you want to get it, you want to have it your life, you want to be wise, you want to teach your children how to be wise. My son, that little phrase is used 23 times in Proverbs. The first six are in the opening chapters. The last five or six are in the back chapters. They're like brackets. You could almost consider this a mentor relationship, a discipleship relationship. He is teaching someone how to be wise. The first seven verses that we're not going to spend a lot of time on, but we're going to spend a little time on them, are what you have to have before you have wisdom. Before you can practice it, before you can live it, you have to love it. Put that down in your mind, please. No one talked about that tonight in our discussion You have to love wisdom before you can live wisdom. And in our text, verses 1 through 7, are these internal desire words. 2-1, treasure it. Have your ear be attentive to it, verse 2. Incline your heart to it, verse 2. Call out for it. Raise your voice for it, verse 3. Seek it, verse 4. Search for it. As hidden treasure. Do you see what it is? It's a growing 
always growing desire for it, a love for it. Now, if you're marking down things, this is how you would look at it. There is a cause and effect relationship between how you love it and how you live it. You see the cause? It says all these words, and then chapter 2 and verse 5, chapter 2 and verse 9 have the little word then. You love it, you want it, you seek it, you have to have it, you go after it. That would include reading the Bible, studying the Bible, memorizing the Bible, living the Bible in that sense. He says then, verse 5, here's what the effect will be. Then you're going to understand the fear of the Lord, verse 9. Then you'll understand righteousness, justice, and every good path. Then you'll know how to walk it. Then you'll know how to help people, how to deal with people, deal with situations of every sort. It all starts with wanting and loving, treasuring wisdom. Can I tell you as a parent, the most difficult thing in parenting is not getting your children always to do the thing they should do. Because up until a certain age, you can make them do it. I love those years. (laughs) You can make them do it. Because you can be spanked. You could be disciplined. You could have things taken away. And ultimately, I can win. For a while. But you know what the hardest thing is? Giving your kids desires. Because the reality is, you can't. You can't give them to it. You can help them to foster them. You can encourage them to grow it. You can show them how to love it, why they should love it. But they have to love it. You and I need to show them what it means to love wisdom, to love the word of God, to treasure it. And then there's an effect, he says. See, if you do that, then here's what God does. You do your part. He does this part, so to speak. Notice the rest of the verses, verse 7. He stores it up for you. He's a shield. He'll guard you. He watches over you. He delivers you. Why? Because it's pleasant to your soul. Do you see that? You start treasuring it and desiring it and loving it, and God's going to start pouring it into you in ways that will guard you and keep you and deliver you. And there's all kinds of enemies on the path. Did you see it? You have the adulterous woman (coughs) teaching your children to restrict themselves and say no. Deny themselves lusts and all kinds of sexual immorality? How do you do it? Because you have to learn to love something supremely above it. More than that. And that is wisdom and all that goes with it. Notice these real quickly. Notice how the road or path or way words are pitched in here. And can I tell you this? I'm going to give you all the couplets real quickly. And then I'm going to show you how they are contrasting couplets. Because this is a key skill in wisdom. Verse, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Then you will understand, guarding the paths, there it is, circle it. Path, way, and road is often used in here. Paths, verse 8, the paths of justice. Then you will understand righteousness and judge every good path. See those two? For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Before that, he says, that you can walk in evil. So 2.8, paths of justice. 2.9, the good path. If you're taking notes, verse 9, the good path. This is word, one of them means road, one of them means a detour, and one of them means, this one means firm ground. 
I watched the news last night, and they showed a fireman who had a rope around him, and he was out because in the middle of this pond, not in the middle, but toward the edge of the pond, more or less, but out enough, was a dog named Bob. It was, had its front paws on the edge of the ice, but it couldn't get back up because it wasn't, the ice wasn't thin, thick enough. The dog had wandered out there, maybe to get a drink of water, I don't know, but the, wa- the ice was so thin, it couldn't hold him up. It wasn't firm ground, and he fell in. The fireman had to be put out on a rope. He went all the way out there. When he got out there near to where the dog was, the whole thing collapsed because he weighed way more. But he was able to grab the dog, pull him up, and push him on the shore, and he came up, and then they took the rope, and there's about five people back there, and they all pulled him out of the water as well. But you know what it all start- started with? The dog didn't know that it wasn't firm ground. Obviously, he couldn't know that, right? But see, what's the difference? Well, we do. So we have to teach our kids, see, don't walk down that path. Don't go, see, don't choose those friends. You know why? It's thin ice. See, it's going to break through. That won't hold what you want it to be in your life. That you, it won't hold your weight in life if you're on that we have to teach our kids, see, here's what he says. That's not a good path. That's not a firm path. 12 and 13, the ways of evil, verse 13, paths of righteousness, ways of darkness. Do you see that? 15, some of these paths are crooked, he says, devious ways. So there are ones that veer off, and they come this way, and they go that way. They're crooked. They're not straight. They look like they might be faster. They look like they might be better, but they're not. 18, paths that to the departed, and that's the adulterous woman. It says this, if you take her path, follow the path of sexual immorality, it says it goes to the departed and it only leads to death. The next verse says, you'll never return, you'll never return to the paths of life. Do you see it? Darkness, light, basically righteousness, good, evil, death, life. Verse 20, the ways that are good, the paths of righteousness, compared to the last two verses of what is wicked and evil. Those paths, and see, the Bible loves in wisdom literature to use antithetical contrast. We need to tell our children, every day you are choosing to walk one path, or every one of you this week coming up to this service, you have walked a path. Every single one of us. We've made decisions on that path. If you know Christ, you're on a Jesus journey, and you are making decisions, and your decisions are based on the wisdom that you actually treasure in your life. That's why, and we don't have time tonight now, but in chapter 4, if you read it, it uses the word path and way and road almost as much as chapter 2. But there's one verse I do want to tell you about in verse 26 and 7. Ponder the path of your feet. Can I tell you this? It's almost unheard of. The Puritans, and one of the reasons I love them, is because they were deeply, personally evaluative. They would take time at the end of every day, look back on their day, and evaluate how they lived. We don't do that. We don't take the time to sit our children down, and I wrote down, write, ask them diagnostic questions. What path were you on today? If you weren't, why did you get off God's path and choose that one? Where, the path that you're on, 
Where do you think it will take you if you keep doing that? If you keep having those friends, you keep looking at that stuff on social media, you keep choosing to listen to that music and wear those kind of clothes. If you think, where do you think that path is ultimately going to take you? Whose wisdom are you really using and whose wisdom do you really treasure? See, if we don't take the time to help our children to know how to evaluate their lives, to ponder the path of their feet. Like if I keep doing this and making these choices, where will I end up? I close tonight with this truth about the New Testament. It doesn't stop in Proverbs. In fact, you know the truth. The famous verse, John 14, 6, Jesus says to Thomas, I am what? The way. Jesus is the source of wisdom. He's the road. He is the road we want our children to take. Every day we want them to take that road. In fact, read the book of Acts sometimes, five different times in the book of Acts. You know what the first term that secular people called believers or disciples? It wasn't Christian. That came back in chapter 19. You know what the first phrase to describe groups of Christian was? The way. You know why? Because here's what Christians were known for. They took a different road. They didn't see life the same way. They didn't live life the same way. Christians were known for this. They functioned according to a different kind of wisdom. They evaluated their lives differently, what was important. It's so different when Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and he talks about wisdom He calls it cruciform wisdom. You know what made it so unbelievably different? is because Christians believe that the greatest wisdom happened from a crucified false Messiah of the Jewish people on a Roman cross. How can that be wisdom? But it was. And it still is. The greatest wisdom of all time. See, it's a cruciform wisdom. It's countercultural. It goes against everything that our world stands for on almost every level. That's what our children and our lives, what we need to embrace and what we need to understand is what does it really mean to walk this path? To believe that Jesus is the way, not one of them, not a way, the way. Because a road and a path always mean this. It's a process. It takes time. And we need to, every day, Make sure that we're staying on that path. You ask yourself, and I'll close. I knew this when my kids were growing up. I often ask myself, how could they live in my home, know all the things I'm teaching them, and choose the complete opposite? Have you ever thought about that? I came to the realization it wasn't hard once you think about it. You know why? Because if you reject God, you reject wisdom. It wasn't that my kids didn't know. It's that they rejected it. They lived the way they did and made the choices they made when they got out of my house. You know why? Because they didn't know him. They had rejected it. They turned their back on it. Proverbs says, woe to those or be careful of those who turn their back on the path. It says this to them, avoid it. Get away from it. Stay away from them. See, we need to teach our children This is the path if you want to follow Jesus. This is what it includes. And this is what it'll mean. And here's one of the costs you'll have to have to be able to walk it. 
See, my children got that when they got God. <laughs> when they didn't have him, they didn't have wisdom. In fact, they did, but the wrong kind. They had the world's wisdom. Oh, see, what about you and me tonight? What about our kids? What are we going to do? Are we going to stand by and let the wisdom of the world be what in floods? That's why we have to be careful, isn't it, about what they listen on the music, the phones, the social media, the internet, the kids, the school they attend. All, you know what? All that matters because every piece of it is putting out a wisdom, often alternative wisdom, inferior, worldly wisdom, not from above. Sandy said, demonic. That's how serious it is. But wisdom, it's a different kind. God's wisdom. I had lunch yesterday with Tim Adams and Walter. I don't know if you've met Walter since he's come here. Walter is 86. Tim has known him forever. <laughs> no, a long time, decades, right? We're sitting in Cracker Barrel, and he started to talk about, we just, I just said something. He said, oh, I know I'm going to go to heaven. So I said, well, you probably should never have said that. So I said, well, how would you know that's true? And he gave the answer that everyone gives, being a good person. But he had to admit right away, not good all the time. Not good long ago, getting better at being good now that I'm 86. But still, I have so many problems, he said. And we went through the gospel and started talking to him about not being good enough and what that meant. Because Walter had a wisdom. And the wisdom was, I could make it on my own. But today he thought, I, maybe I should come to church. So he has been. Maybe I should include God at least somewhere along the line. So he had a wisdom, a religious wisdom that taxed God. You know, come on, God. I'll put you on the side. At least have you a little bit in there. I told, we, we talked about how wrong all of those points were. How wisdom was completely wrong. About 10 minutes, 15 maybe, gave him the gospel, just going the opposite direction and telling him why all those ways he, he was thinking were wrong. He shook his head. He goes, I get it. I get it. It's not me. You know, it was a joy to watch him with people all around us in, in, in Cracker Barrel pray and accept Christ as a Savior. At the table... You know what? In all the years Tim has talked to him and tried to reach him, God uses that one day to overcome false wisdom of Walter and give him the wisdom of God. It changed everything. If that's true for him, what about us? Right? Shouldn't it be changing us? It should be in our family, in our children, by God's grace and for his glory. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you. Thank you for wisdom. Wisdom that comes from your word. Our Father, next couple weeks from now, we're going to get back to the new creation and all the newness. But tonight, I just want to focus on wisdom. I pray that our people, God's people, would be wise. Wise as serpents, Jesus said, harmless as doves. Oh God, may the wisdom that you've given to us, may it be embedded and grounded and encoded into every decision that we make. That we might be a wise people because we live differently. We live with a cross at the center of our lives because we follow the way, Jesus. Help us to that end, Lord.
that we might be wise like you. In Christ's name, amen. Before you leave tonight, if you would, please pray for Fander and me and Pastor Ray. We'll be leaving Monday at four in the morning for Panama for a week and training about 35 pastors down at our headquarters. If you'd remember us in prayer that week, we would really appreciate it. Next Wednesday, Pastor Jim will be standing here in my place, but please remember us in prayer. Thank you. You are